I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Thursday, August 25th, 2011. Okay, I'm already cracking up. <laughs> Looking at the list in today's program is just weird. That's all I can say. It's weird. Oh, man. In fact, I'm going to have to play the warning right off the bat. Okay, thank you for tuning in, but here's our warning for today's program. Hang on. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouthitosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. There we go. Thank you to uh, uh, voiceover uh, actress uh, Melba Sabril for her contribution there. Uh, thank you for tuning in. My name is Chris Roseboro. I'm your servant in Jesus Christ. And today that warning could not be more appropriate. Oh, man. I just – every now and then I there I collect little things. It, it, when I'm researching, okay, I'm constantly I'm I'm on I'm Google Reader, I I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm and uh, yeah, I, and I I use a, a a website called Instapaper. I don't know if you've all have heard of Instapaper, but what it allows me to do is as I'm researching, I just I I I, I add things to Instapaper, you know, add this, add that, add this, add that. And then so what happens is is that as I'm doing my research on a day-by-day -day basis, uh, preparing for the program and, and uh, you know, and 
bringing you the offering that we bring here at Fighting for the Faith. Uh, you know, I, I I think, okay, that might be a story that I might want to cover, so I, I, I add it to my Instapaper account, and then I go back into Instapaper on instapaper.com, and um, I then organize them into different folders. You know, this is, uh, you know, so I've got different themes, I've got different stuff that I'm working on, and then I've got a full-blown archive of uh, things that I thought maybe I want to get to them or didn't or did get to them, and, and so anyway... I've got a bin. It's what on earth? The what on earth folder. And every now and then I I, I notice that the what on earth folder um, grows to a point where I could, well, more than likely do an entire program on the what on earth folder. And so uh, today I, we're going to be working through the stuff that in my instant paper account is in the what on earth folder. I, I It has a slightly different name. And again, it's not sanctified, but uh, it, 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 oh man. Anyway, so today is one of those. What on earth? What on earth are we listening to? Kind of stuff. Anyway, so uh, all I could say is, for sure, um, you don't want to listen to this program more than once. If you listen to it more than once, the radiation emanating from this edition of Fighting for the Faith will probably melt your brain. Um, and, uh, and just, just so, so you know that this particular episode, long-term exposure to this episode of fighting for the faith could cause Dame Bramage. And so you, uh, you definitely don't want to, yeah. Oh man. So let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of fighting for the faith. <clears throat> we're going to start off easy. We're going to, we're going to ease into the program with a, with a Rick Warren update. Rick Warren, uh, he's recently put out a video announcing the latest 40 Days campaign, which is going to kick off at the beginning of next year, in 2012, which, by the way, if you follow particular uh, Mesoamerican calendars, well, it's the last year of the entire planet, So, which is kind of weird uh, because uh, my, my, uh, my, my youngest daughter, uh, Faith, she turns 16 on the day... That the world ends, according to uh, the the uh, is it the Aztec calendar? I think it's the uh, or is it the uh, yeah. anyway. So she turned sixteen, and so uh, what we've been planning to do here uh, in the uh, Roseboro family residence here at the Roseboro co- compound, we're already planning. You know, it's a it's still a little bit more than a year out, but I mean, my daughter's going to turn sixteen, so we have to have a sweet sixteen end of the world party. And uh, so that's what we're going to be doing on 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 the the day when the world is supposed to end. We are going to throw a party for my daughter uh, for her sweet 16. And so and we are going to send out invitations to the party announcing the sweet 16 end of the world party. So it's kind of (laughs) cool. How did I start? How did I even get on that topic? Anyway. So let's we're going to we're going to kick off with a a Rick Warren update and here's the weird part about this particular Rick Warren update is <laughs> is that I'm going to find myself in agreement with much of what Rick Warren says in this particular update. Yeah, you, you just have to, you know, I know I know I know I you're sitting there going what? I know now if you if those of you who've been longtime listeners to Fighting for the Faith are aware that there is at least one and potentially two, and I won't. I will not admit to more than that. Editions of Fighting for the Faith, where I played segments where I find my found myself well, 
um, strangely, oddly, in the position of having to agree with Benny Hinn. And so this is kind of one of those things where I'm going, okay, cool. I, I got an update where I'm going to be playing something from Rick Warren in, in, in anticipation of the upcoming uh, 40 Days campaign. Um, uh, uh, I find myself in agreement with Rick Warren. And then those of you who are familiar with the New Apostolic Reformation, the NAR, um, okay, see Peter Wagner, um, who in his day was <laughs> one of the church growth mentors of Rick Warren. Go figure. Anyway, um, I, now I'm not saying that Rick Warren is uh, is a disciple of uh, of uh, C. Peter Wagner in the New Apostolic Reformation sense. Now I'm not saying that at all. But I do find it really interesting that C. Peter Wagner was one of the early guys um, who was you know innovating it along the the lines of these church growth methodologies and strategies. And well, he's fully jumped in. Well, long ago, jumped in this whole New Apostolic Reformation thing. And these guys. The, these new apostolic guys, I, I think they sat down with a globe one day and kind of cut the world up into different apostolates because they believe that the uh, that the office of apostle is still active today. And so see Peter Wagner, he put his stamp of approval on this guy by the name of Chuck Pierce. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Chuck Pierce is the is the heir of uh, of see Peter Wagner's uh, uh, apostle uh, apostolate. So. We're going to be hearing from the apostle Chuck Pierce today. And, oh man, I just don't even know what to do with it. And um, and then yeah, as if that's not enough. Um, y'all familiar with Cindy Jacobs? We've uh, we've played a, a couple of things from Cindy Jacobs. Well, we got some more doozers from her. She's weighed in regarding the uh, the earthquake out there in Washington D.C. Now I'm a little disappointed that the uh, uh, William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, has yet to update his website and give us more prophetic insight. Now, my hope, and the thing I actually do pray for, for uh, William Tapley, is that God is opening, I hope. I pray that God is opening his eyes to the fact that he ain't no prophet, he ain't no Third Eagle of no Apocalypse, and he ain't no co-prophet of the end times, and he needs to repent and stop listening to these voices in his head, and, and, and uh, well... Listen to the scriptures. Listen to the sure and certain word of God. That's what I'm hoping is going on. Uh, so uh, we, you know, we can pray. So uh, anyway, Cindy Jacobs has weighed in regarding this, uh, this the earthquake. So we're going to take a listen to her stuff. And then uh, an interview with a, a guy by the name of Prophet Manasseh. Oh, man, this guy is is he's being groomed by uh, Benny Hinn to, to be the next Benny Hinn. And I got to tell you, Prophet Manasseh, he is as phony as a $6 bill. I mean, this kid is bad. I mean, he's a huckster, a charlatan, a showman. And uh, yeah, wait till you hear that. And then <clears throat> if we have time after all of that, <clears throat> then we're going to uh, uh, read an article from <laughs> Albert Muller just to anchor us back into sanity. I, I, I'm hoping that we can at least prior to the second break and before we go into uh, uh, into the um, the break before our sermon review, that uh, we'll be able to have something, something that will bring us back to reality a little bit before we go into our sermon review. Um, and our sermon review comes to us via the Wave Church. Uh, Pastor Steve Kelly is going to be presiding, and it's called Five Ways to Gain and Profit. 
five ways to gain and profit. And I got to got to tell you, <laughs> I've never heard a sermon like this before. I, it's just, um, I'm after listening to uh, Steve Kelly's five ways to gain and profit. I, I've come up with a theory. And uh, I'll tell you the theory right now, and I, I have no idea how to prove this theory, but it, it's a working theory I have right now. You're all familiar with, uh, in the ancient days, uh, the, uh, the concept of the fattened calf. Uh, the idea is that yeah, you'd feed this calf until it, that, that poor thing, you know, uh, looked like it needed to be on The Biggest Loser. And then, you know, to celebrate, you'd kill the fatted calf and, uh, and have a part, and it, it would provide, you know. Anyway, fatted calves are very important. After listening to this sermon by Steve Kelly, I'm beginning to think that false teachers, these uh, the, these wolves, they want their sheep to be fat in the wallet and are doing everything they can to prod and poke and and encourage their sheep to be worldly successful, uh, successful in a worldly uh, financial way, so, so that they can live off of their success. I I just. It's just it's a theory I'm working on. So anyway, uh, that's uh, you know. So that's what's going on for today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Make yourself comfortable. Protect your brain. Uh, tinfoil pyramid hats for sure on this edition of Fighting for the Faith. I trust me, you're going to need it. I I don't know how else to explain it except for you really are going to need a, a tinfoil pyramid hat to protect your brain in the long run from what's gonna what you're gonna be hearing in this edition. So. With that, we're going to dive into the program proper, and uh, we'll start off easy. We're going to start off easy with a Rick Warren update where I'm going to find myself agreeing with some of the things that Rick Warren says. So <clears throat> let's let's go. Purpose, it keeps you going strong like a car with a full tank of gas. Everyone else has a purpose, so what's mine? Oh, look! Here's a penny. It's from the year I was born. It's a sign. Ha! Ba -ba -ba -ba. Doo -doo 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 -doo. I don't know how I know, but, but I'm going to find my purpose. I don't know where I'm going to look, but I'm going to find my Gotta find out, don't wanna wait Got to make sure that my life will be great Gotta find my purpose uh -huh. Before it's too late Alright, so there we go, uh, from Avenue Q um, <laughs> Purpose And uh, those of you familiar with the uh, the Broadway musical will notice that I <clears throat> did strategically edit out particular things from that particular song Anyway, um Rick Warren, over a head pastor there at um, Saddleback Church, a, a man who, well, we regularly review his stuff here at Fighting for the Faith as far as things that he says in public. And from time to time, we review sermons by him. And um, I don't think it would be um, uncharitable or a stretch to say that Rick Warren is probably one of the worst and most miserable handlers of God's Word that I have ever seen on planet Earth. In the entire history of Christianity, uh, there has no, there is nobody who has more skill at twisting God's Word than Rick Warren. Um, in fact, um, 
Bible twisting, by the way, is not a spiritual gift from God the Holy Spirit. It, you know, it may be a, a spiritual gift, but its origins are not from the throne of heaven. But Rick Warren, for sure, for sure, is somebody who demonstrates over and again that he has the spiritual gift of Bible twisting, which, by the way, does not come from the throne of heaven. But um, he's just recently announced that the... Next, 40 Days Campaigns, which, by the way, we did play the audio here. Rick Warren got his ideas for these 40 – the idea for the 40 Days Campaigns that he does over and over and over again. He got it from the Communist Party, which you just can't make this stuff up. Anyway, Rick Warren has announced that the newest and latest and greatest 40 Days Campaign, which is going to begin in the beginning of 2012, the, the last year that the entire planet is going to be here, according to certain Mesoamerican calendars. He has announced that their 40 Days campaign is called 40 Days in the Word. Uh, yeah, here's Rick Warren. Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Warren, and here in Southern California, one of the big pastimes, of course, is surfing because everybody's near the beach. Surfing looks like it's pretty easy, but it's actually quite a difficult sport. Yeah, I agree with him. It's See, I told you I was going to be agreeing with him. It's, surfing is very difficult. In fact, it's so difficult that even I failed miserably in any attempts at actually surfing. When I lived in Southern California, I took up bodyboarding, which I found to be – uh, well, friendlier as far as wave sports were concerned for guys like me who are men of girth. So, yeah, because you don't have to worry about standing up and balancing. And by the way, uh, the other part about it is is that uh, a lot of the guys who uh, surf, they like surfing year-round to, you know, to hone their skills. And what I found is because I'm a guy of girth, I did not look really good in a wetsuit. No. In fact, I was surprised um, that uh, I didn't get arrested. But anyway, <clears throat> we continue. requires enormous amount of balance. And you have to have skills to be a good surfer. You have to be able to watch for a wave. You go out and there's a lot of waiting yeah. while you're just waiting for yeah. God to bring in the right wave. Yeah. And then when you see that wave coming in, you get ready for it. Yeah. And then you, you, you aim your board in the right direction. Yeah. And then once the wave hits, you've got to get up on your board. You've got to balance. You've got to ride it. Yeah. And you've got to know how to get off the wave as it's ending without wiping out. Yeah. When I wrote the book Purpose Driven Church, uh, man. <clears throat> no, no, sorry, we were I was agreeing with him. I mean, yes, surfing is a difficult sport. You got to know all those things. I completely agree with Rick Warren. And now we we've steered into something else. <clears throat> Rick Warren uh, putting a plug in for the book The Purpose Driven Church. I named the first chapter Catching Spiritual Waves because the point is this. We don't create waves. Only God can create waves. But it is our job as church leaders, as pastors, as deacons, as elders, as small group leaders, to see the waves that God is doing and to see them coming in and to get ready and to catch them and ride those waves. I want to ask you to join me in surfing a wave that I know that is coming. What? <laughs> How do you know it's coming? There's a wave, a spiritual wave is about ready to break. Okay. How would you know this? I mean, apparently God has let him know. See, because he, remember earlier in the video, he said that only God makes these waves, but he knows, Rick Warren, he's in the know. God has apparently told him, Dear Rick Warren, thus saith the Lord, a wave is coming. 
A wave is coming. Prepare thy people for the wave. Okay. In January of 2012, thousands of churches across America are going to join in a six-week spiritual growth campaign called 40 Days in the Word. It is an attempt to deal with the growing biblical illiteracy in our society. People... <laughs> Hang on a second here. Okay. Um, uh, Rick, um, mm, yeah, it makes me wonder, um, you know, is this a mea culpa? Is is this um, a wave that you're creating as a means of undoing the damage that you've done in the body of Christ with your so-called seeker-driven, purpose-driven methodologies? Which I think um, one could, without stretching the truth, say that the uh, the biblical depth of the average seeker driven sermon um wouldn't fill um a a, a kiddie pool uh, you know one of those plastic little kiddie pools that you can get at Walmart you know for the it, no it no the average the average biblical depth of the average seeker driven sermon uh, couldn't fill a thimble with water um so uh, you know it makes me wonder if maybe just maybe that the reason why or one of the contributing factors to the growing biblical illiteracy especially in the Christian church or in the visible church has something to do with the fact that churches like yours um um and you know and met- methodologically purpose driven churches um, string together out of context versus, I mean, how many times uh, are we going to hear uh, John 10.10, 10, I came to ha- that they might have life and have it abundantly, or Jeremiah 29.11, I know the purposes I have for you, plans for good and to prosper you. And I mean, how many times can you preach on those two passages, you know, and without it causing significant biblical illiteracy? But I get, I get don't get me wrong, I'm I'm actually kind of happy that Rick Warren is doing this campaign, the 40 days in the word. And I'm sure, I'm sure that one of the major emphases of this new 40 days campaign will be that 40 days is just the beginning that we, they intend for people to actually, you know, really significantly be in their Bibles beyond the 40 days. I mean, like for a lifetime, I'm sure that will be an emphasis, but let's continue. People just don't know the word of God. And yet Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. He said, if you continue in the word, then you're my disciple. Yeah. Would you join us in this wave? This wave that's going to come crashing in about January 2012. Would you help us get ready and lead your church to be a part of 40 days in the word. This is the first major campaign in 10 years that Saddleback has offered to the nation. We do one every oh, year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, they're offering this one to the whole nation. Oh, okay. But this one, I see a wave coming, and I don't want you to miss out on it. The last wave, which was in 40 days of purpose, a decade ago. Yeah, that, that was a destructive tsunami. I, he's right in, in, see, I told you I was going to be agreeing with Rick Warren. The 40 Days of Purpose campaign, that was a wave, all right. See, there's waves, you know, like the wind blows in the waves, and you can surf them. And then there was the 40 Days of Purpose wave. You, you all remember the footage of, of Japan right after the earthquake and the destructive wave that's that. See, you're right. It was a, it was a wave, Rick. It was a tsunami that destroyed a, lo- a large portions of the church. Nearly 31,000 churches in America caught that wave. 
Yes, they did. And uh, now we don't recognize their teaching anymore. Nearly 31,000 churches in America caught that wave. 10% of the American church. and Wiped out, completely destroyed. Churches grew on an average of over 25% during that campaign. Oh, okay. Imagine what could happen as we go 40 days in the Word together. Yeah, you know, it, you know, it makes me wonder, uh, Rick, um, <laughs> if you're not like flirting with disaster here, could you imagine what would happen to Saddleback Church if the folks there at Saddleback actually were in God's Word and were capable and trained how to read it in context and were, a, and were taught to do some discernment work regarding what they were hearing in the pulpit? Would you, could you imagine, this whole thing could boomerang and destroy Rick Warren's entire ministry. I mean, could you imagine what would happen to Saddleback Church if the folks there were really digging into God's Word, really reading it, really understanding it, and then we're going, wait a second, Pastor Rick, I don't care. I, how is it what you're saying in the pulpit is supposed to square with what you taught us to do regarding how to read the Bible in your 40 Days in the Word campaign? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, just it's just one of those weird, 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 weird things. So, okay. <clears throat> All right. We're going to pause right there. We're going to take our first break, and then we're going to go from that to the next stuff. And um, all I can say is you don't – well, it, again, it's from the What on Earth file in my, um, in my Instapaper account. So, um, <laughs> yeah, if, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith – you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask me my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Listening to Byron Christian Radio. It's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Chicago, 6 p.m. Inside Lucy Perkins' bedroom. I want to tell you my secret now. Okay. In your dreams? No. When you're awake? Yeah. Emergent people like in coffee shops and cohorts? Walking around like regular people. They don't see the truth. They only see what they want to believe. They don't know they're dead in their sins. How often do you see them?
Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. All right, we're back. Warning, long-term exposure to this program could cause Dane Bramage. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038, and thank you for your support. By the way, uh, before we get into this next segment, um, I want to let you all know that uh, we have officially got the date, um, and so save the data. Those of you who live in uh, Minnesota... Um, on uh, September 9th at 6.30 p.m. across the street from the Crossing Church um, uh, at uh, the Elk River High School there, um, I'm going to be giving a conference entitled Double Crossed by the Crossing, and uh, where I'm going to be taking the time to walk the folks there in Elk River through what is wrong with uh, the teaching and methodologies of Eric Dykstra. Uh, from you know from the Crossing Church, so uh, we uh, just so you all know, uh, this is one of those unbudgeted expenses for uh, fighting for the faith in pirate Christian radio, and so we truly do need your help in order to be able to afford to pull off this event. And uh, we we estimate that the total cost of the event is going to be anywhere between a thousand and twelve hundred dollars. Uh, that's including. Uh, travel. It's including the facilities. It's including yeah, everything that we're going to be doing for uh, for this event. So, if uh, you could support us uh, uh, financially, that would be fantastic. In fact, we've got a listener uh, who has uh, offered to auction a, a, a an individual piece of artwork that uh, that you know that she made a, a painting that she uh, painted uh, to help uh, support fighting for the faith. And I, you know, I in fact, I got to get hold of her. 
let her know that we can do that. But we were waiting to get approval for the facilities. So, again, September 9th, 6.30 p.m., Elk River, Minnesota, at the high school there, right across the street from the Crossing Church. So uh, be praying that uh, that uh, this would be a good there would be a good turnout, and that uh, God would use this conference to uh, open the eyes of the people in the community and maybe even uh, bring Eric Dykstra to repentance. That's uh, that would ultimately be the goal. So uh, keep that in mind and be praying for us. And if you can help us out financially so that uh, we can uh, uh, basically pull off this event, that would be truly uh, amazing. So all right, moving along. Chief, mate, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. An laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. That's right. It, this means one thing. We're going to be doing a well, a Dominionist update, if you would, uh, and uh, anything that has to do with the new apostolic reformation, the Dominionists who are taking over the world through their their new apostles. Yeah, with that, uh, we'll just dive right into this. Um, this is the apostle, <clears throat> a man who thinks he's an apostle. Uh, the the apostle, Chuck Pierce, giving us a direct prophecy, a thus saith the Lord, if you would, and uh, see if you can make heads or tails of this. Here uh, is the verse the Lord said for me to come into agreement with, because he said the enemy is attempting to shake things out of my time. And I am in the order of shaking, saith the Lord. Okay, so thus saith the Lord, I'm in the order of shaking. Um, by the way, uh, don't try this with your infant. Yeah, shaking baby syndrome is not a good thing, even if the Lord said I am in the order of shaking. It is I who am rearranging the economies of the earth. Mm. It is me who is beginning to move my people into a new order and realign the nations. Mm, okay. But I say the enemy would come in to change times and laws. Right. And I say my people must rise up and not pray out of their fears, but pray out of the call that I'm extending them this hour. Okay, you're writing this down. Don't pray out of your fears, but only pray out of the call that God is extending in this hour. Hmm. Right, yeah. That's as clear as mud. For they are a nation above all nations, and I have called them to rearrange the nations uh-huh. this hour and to rearrange. Are, are you writing this down? you got to tack this onto the back of your Bible, by the way, because this is a thus saith the Lord. Change my kingdom plan in the earth. I have called them to build kingdom businesses and realign kingdom processes. Uh-huh. I have called them to. Yeah, so, you, okay, f- folks, if you are not building kingdom businesses, and realigning kingdom processes, well, then you're not really in agreement with what God is doing right now, apparently. You need to get cracking and start. I have no idea how you do that. 
Um, but uh, you, uh, this is what the apostles sang, you know, so even present themselves in gatherings like they've not been seen before. Yeah. I say church as was known and was very prosperous on my behalf to bring many in to a spiritual enlightenment is now shifting. And I Okay, so the church is shifting, so you, yeah, you, you might, might want to make sure you're on the right side of whatever that shift is. Why is it these guys keep talking about shiftings? I say I will build a new church, but it will be out of a kingdom keys. It will be from the kingdom keys that unlock the entryway in. I say the... Okay, so we got keys that are unlocking the entryway, got it? Locks of heaven are changing. Oh, no, man. Okay. Yeah, I hate when this happens. Um, you know, the, when, you know when they change the locks, uh, you know... Um, it could be really inconvenient because, I mean, if you have keys that, you know, for the old locks, well, those keys won't work on the new locks. And and so he says that the king, the keys, the, the changing the lock, the keys on the locks of heaven. Hmm. Oh, what a bummer. So uh, those of you with the old lock, uh, the old keys for the old locks into heaven, you need to turn those keys in. You get, you got to go get your new keys. Yeah, it makes me wonder. I mean, has God upgraded to where He's not using like physical keys anymore? Or you know, I love those keys. You know, the door, you know, the keyless entry systems where you know you you have uh, one of those you know passcode cards that goes into your wallet, and all you got to do is put your wallet up against the thing, and it goes beep, and then you can open the door. I'm kind of hoping that with the new keys for heaven, that that's what God's going to go with, because that's just a lot easier than having to get out like you know the wad of keys and then. Find the right one, stick it into the door, and then turn it. And then you know how sometimes, like, if it's cold, like, yeah, outside, the, the weather can make it so that, like, turning the knob is, like, really hard. Yeah. The locks of heaven are changing, just as in the Panama Canal when the locks change. Um, well, that doesn't make any sense. Um, locks and locks. See, see, the locks in the Panama Canal are not like locks on a door. You're mixing your metaphors here, dude. And I say I'm bringing in a different order, and I'm bringing in a different way, and I'm bringing shipfuls of revelation in at this time for my... I shouldn't laugh at that. My people to build with. I say no, that things are changing at this time, and it is you who must align with me. Now, hear this. Yeah, the funny thing is Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. It makes me wonder if you're, you're, you're following the wrong Jesus. First, thus said the Lord God, thus the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God called for conflict. What is, <laughs> what is with the piano playing? By fire. And it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. Now, Father, we lift up that portion of Japan that was devoured, that the deep rose up and devoured, that the territory shook. This guy's an apostle? Seriously? and was rearranged that many lives were not prepared for and many lives were oh man I mean, does it sound more spiritual if you throw piano in behind it you know i don't have a piano but I, you know i've got a i've got an iphone and you know they have key hey there we go hang on okay so um 
Um, I think you're a false prophet. Yes, and and I think the, all of this is poppycock. Yes, it's this, this isn't from God. I, I think this is just silly. So there. Cut short in. Lord, we ask right now for your eye to come down on that area. <laughs> okay, so God's eyeball is going to come down on the area. Okay. Then I said, oh, Lord God, cease, I pray. Now hear this word. Okay, I'm listening. Because this was the prophet he was speaking to, and the prophet can only prophesy what God says. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord. In other words, he said, now ask for a time of ceasing. I think you don't know what you're talking about. So there. For the enemy now could enter in and shake the whole Pacific Rim. I want to know if you were smoking something prior to this prophecy. But the Lord said, you ask for a time of ceasing... Until people can reorder the way that they will now operate and my kingdom plan will go forth. Uh, You know what? I think I need to give you a spiritual cease and desist. So there. He said, I have gathered you together this morning to look at me and say cease. And if you will say cease, I will cease and the enemy will cease and desist. Uh, what? (laughs) I think you're not an apostle. And you need to cease and desist. Lord, we say right now, this is a moment of ceasing so that you can steady what needs to be steadied in the earth. Yeah, yeah. See, I think this is what Uzzah did. Uzzah... (laughs) Uza is right. Ooze is, yeah. Put his hand to steady something. Uh-huh. God says, my people and my prophets, all they can do is agree with me. They cannot put their hand to steady things, but they... <laughs> what? <laughs> I cannot believe that anybody would think for 10 seconds that this guy's actually hearing from God. Can ask me to reorder what needs to be reordered so the enemy has no way to to create conflict and chaos when I am not ready for that level of conflict and chaos to arise. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I think you need to take a hallucinogenic drug. To to even have, like, a shot at this beginning to sound like it's even remotely coherent. I mean, seriously. So the Lord says right now, this is a reprieve and a ceasing that I am decreeing from heaven. What? And if you will go to war for the ceasing, I will rebuild, give you time to rebuild your platforms that won't shake loose. 
Seriously, this guy's an apostle? I say I will give you time to rebuild what would make you sink in days ahead for what you're building on now will not withstand the next season ahead. I say evaluate your building plan and revision communicate with me. I, <laughs> I mean... Real, I just let's just grab some random string of words together and blame it on God. I mean, this doesn't make any sense at all. And the piano playing, all it does is create an air, an an aura of somehow this is churchy. I say to you, if you will do that, then what will shake in days ahead will cease, and you will have a steady plan for your future. I say to you, decree today that I cease and decree a ceasing. You know, this is like speaking in tongues in English. I, I mean, seriously, think about it. I mean, you know, the, the you know the folks that turn off the brain and do the uh, Shamana Hanumana and she drove a Hyundai kind of thing. I mean, this guy is like speaking in tongues, but he's using words to do it. I mean, it's just as coherent but it's like it, it this isn't from god the holy spirit in the earth and i will give you time to rebuild the platforms that will not fall saith the lord yeah whatever okay yeah all right thanks for that um don't know what any of it meant because none of it meant anything Okay, move, moving along here. Uh, y'all familiar with uh, Cindy and Mike Jacobs? Cindy Jacobs, I think, is is a little more um, well-known than her husband, Mike. But here are Cindy and Mike waxing eloquent about, well, their sure uh, sign that uh, the earthquake was a sign from God, the earthquake in Washington, D.C. Uh, here's their take on it. Here we go. The earth itself will respond to the actions of man. In other words, if man sins, the earth will respond. If man is righteous, the earth responds. Its desire, its ultimate desire, is to release tremendous blessing. That's the way the earth was designed. So, God... Okay, yeah, Mike, you're kind of right and, and kind of wrong. Because um, here's the deal. Um, the scriptures teach us there is none righteous. No, not one. All have turned aside. Every single human being born on planet Earth, all six billion or seven billion of us, depending on what census figures you're going with now, all of us are born unrighteous. Me, you, your wife Cindy, we're all dead in trespasses and sins by nature. So um, we got a problem here, and that is, is that your claim that if we're just righteous, then the Earth will respond with blessing. Well, that's true to a point. The problem is, is we can't solve our unrighteousness problem. We need Christ to do that for us. That's always speaking to us through nature, but because sometimes we have this Greco-Roman philosophical view rather than a Hebraic Bible view, mm -hmm. we don't see it that way. We've not been taught how to interpret what God is saying through nature. Yeah, and it's not really... Yeah, it doesn't sound like you've been taught it either. 
We continue. That God is wanting, he doesn't want bad things to happen. Just he has set up law. If you do this, mm -hmm. this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. Because he's the creator. He owns the earth. Yes, he does. He owns everything in the in the world. He created you. He yep. created me. He yep. created us. Yep. He set up laws and the way things have to function. Sure when we did. break these laws, whether we, whether we think we have a right to do whatever we want, we don't have a right. And so what happens is... So uh, why don't you go ahead and keep them then, Cindy? Um, how much do you want to bet uh, you break God's laws daily? Hmm? That, you know, that biblically the earth literally, some translations say, gets frustrated. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it begins to groan. And so what do we do? We have to pray. This is the time to tell people about Jesus. God is awakening through this groaning. God wants to awaken his people to go out. Just like people ran out of buildings. You know, they were afraid. Thank God, you know, that they were okay. We ran out of buildings. But the Lord, it's time to get out of our churches. It's time to get active. It's time to look at what's happening in our government. It's time to look at what's happening in our nation. And it's time to go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. You know, Cindy, I agree with you. It, we do need to go out and we need to tell people about Jesus. Um, but the message we need to proclaim is repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Not self-righteousness. Not if we obey God's laws and we're righteous, then the earth will bless us. Yeah, the problem is is that all of us still have a sinful nature, and none of us in our sinful flesh is righteous. Each and every one of us, you and me and everyone else included, has contributed to the sin on the earth. And so I, I agree with you, Cindy. we got to go out and tell people about Jesus. Absolutely. That's exactly what we got to do. By the way, um, i got a little bit more Cindy Jacobs here. Apparently, I don't know if you all know this, but she personally... Kind of like, um, uh, who was that, uh, that uh, Mr. Magoo style? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about who, who that cartoon character that was kind, of, that was you know like really uh, nearsighted and couldn't really see past his nose, and uh, as a result of it, uh, Mr. Magoo. I mean, he. He would always kind of bumble into saving the world or something to that effect. Well, Cindy Jacobs, apparently, kind of Mr. Magoo style, has she personally has put a stop to two coups that were set to take place in, in, in Africa. Yeah, here, here she is talking about it. Here we go. I mean, one time I was with the – we were going to see the president of Nigeria – Obasanjo. You always end up with presidents and yeah. prime ministers. Well, they need words too. We we were going to see him, and all these people were milling around. They call it the villa, the White House. And there was a man sitting at this side. I didn't know who he was. And the Lord said he was going to try to take over the country and do a coup against the <clears> president, <throat> go warn him. So I didn't know who he was. He was the vice president, but I didn't know that. I mean, just lots of people in the room. So I go tell him. They called him Papa, and I told him. I said, "There's that man out there." And they said, oh, yeah, he's the vice president. He's going to try to take over the country. He did. He fled. They caught him, like, with a big suitcase full of money in London or stuff like this. I mean, I might be eating Mexican food. This has happened, too, well, Mike, I can tell you. Yeah. Between so, uh, okay. so it's questionable here. This is by her own confession. Uh, when she's getting these words of knowledge, these prophetic words from God, the Holy Spirit, 
Um, it may or may not actually be God, the Holy Spirit. It may be Mexican food that's uh, speaking. So, I mean, she's, listen to her. The chips and salsa, right? Yeah, and we're with a leader from another nation, but not from, a governmental leader. Yeah, from, I think it was Ghana. Yeah. And I said, look, do you know the president? And he said, yeah. I said, look, the military is going to try to do a coup. Now call him up and tell him if everybody starts praying, you watch this leader, it'll get averted. And I go back to eating chips and salsa. You know, I mean, it's not hard. <laughs> Yes, yeah, I mean, yeah, prophecy and stopping coups in Africa. I mean, it, it, it's all in a Mexican dinner plate's work. I mean, <laughs> you know, it um, it, it kind of goes back to one of those sayings that I uh, say from time to time about somebody being one taco short of a combo plate. Apparently, um, well, I mean, Cindy Jacobs, I mean, you know, while she's having the combo plate, she gets words of knowledge from God, the Holy Spirit. And just Mr. Magoo style is able to stop single-handedly. She has put a kibosh on two full-blown coup attempts uh, there in um, the continent of Africa. It makes you wonder if maybe we should, um, you know, hire her out to the State Department. Although I don't think that Secretary of State Hillary Clinton would really um, get along well with Cindy Jacobs. But boy, that'd be fun to watch, though, don't you think? Um, <laughs> all right, Mo- moving along. Um, I get the feeling this kid's going to end up becoming a regular on our program. His name is uh, Prophet, M- M- and I mean that in the loosest possible way, uh, Prophet Manasseh Jordan. And he, he um, recently did an interview, and um, yeah, y- you just need to hear it. H- here we go. Hi, and welcome to this program. This is Carol, and with me on the program, I have a very, very special guest, and his name is Prophet Manessa. Prophet, you're very welcome. Oh, God bless you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and and it's such an honor to have you on this program. It's an honor to be here. Uh, Prophet Manessa is a phony. He's a fraud. He's. I actually got a listener who said that um, he ran into Prophet Manessa Jordan just recently, and uh, Prophet Manasseh told him that if uh, if this uh, if this listener to the radio program of Fighting for the Faith gave Prophet Manasseh Jordan money, that his parents would uh, would uh, automatically for sure go to heaven. This guy is uh, just a phony as a six dollar bill fraud. And you know, we live in such a significant time, and in this time, we really need to uh, hear the voice of God. It is so important that we're able to hear the voice. Yeah. By the way, you're listening to Carol uh, Krogstrup from uh, River of Life. That's uh, this is this is the gal that's doing the interview. Carol, yet yeah, you're right. It is important that we hear the voice of God, that we hear the Word of God, and the place to go where you know you're hearing the voice of God. Answer. Your Bible. You don't need Prophet Manasseh Jordan. He's not a prophet. He's a huckster. He's a charlatan. He's a con man. He's been to the King and the Duke Seminary. Look it up in uh, Huckle- Huckleberry Finn. Of God, and Prophet, you have such a unique ministry mm. where you you speak to people and you're reaching uh, so many people all across the world and traveling. And uh, one thing I've noticed about your ministry is how the Lord uses you to speak specifically into people's lives and call out people's names and speak to them and and tell. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, you please. know, the Bible says something very awesome. Second Chronicles twenty twenty says, "Believe in the Lord God, so shall you be." Established. Believe in his prophets, so shall you prosper. Mm-hmm. 
Amos says that there's a hunger in the land, but this hunger is not for food, it's not for water, but this hunger is to hear the mighty voice of God. And I believe with all of my heart that we are in a decade, we are in an era, we are in an epic where God is really calling those mm. that are called by his name, mm. that can humble themselves, mm. seek his face, hear his voice, then mm. he will touch their land. Okay, now notice um, he was quoting Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20. And he basically is basically said, if you want your land to be healed, you want your, your country, you know, wherever you're, you're abiding to be healed, well, one of the important things is you got to seek the face of God via his prophets. And see, Prophet Manasseh Jordan, wouldn't you know it, he himself just happens to be a prophet of God. Well, let's uh, let's test to see if um, if he was rightly handling Second Chronicles chapter twenty, verse twenty. Now, uh, remember our three rules for biblical interpretation: they are context, context, and well, context. So, let's see if we can um, establish a little bit of the immediate context of Second Chronicles chapter twenty. And I'll start at verse one. Let, I mean, let's let's put this back in context. This, does Second Chronicles chapter twenty say? That we need to believe God and listen to his prophets. Guys like Prophet Manasseh Jordan. Well, let's take a look. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with them some of the uh, Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. This would be Jehoshaphat. He's one of the kings of uh, Israel, I think. And he says, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom and beyond the sea. And behold, they are in... Hazazon Tamar, that is Engedi, and Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast through all of Judah, and Judah assembled, sorry, he's the king of Judah, and assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. So that's the historical context. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, it basically is being besieged by the Moabites and the Ammonites, okay? And he's afraid, so he's seeking the face of the Lord. So Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new courts and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all of the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you and your name in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear us and save. Great. Here Jehoshaphat's humbling himself and reminding God of his promises. Great thing to do, by the way. Now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, 
All Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jirel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning, and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, And they went out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is a great story. I'm going to keep reading. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord, uh, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. And when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, precious things, which they took for themselves, and that they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. And on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Barakah, And there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Now, great story. Now, in that historical context, you have King Jehoshaphat admonishing the people, the soldiers of Judah, to hear him. Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. That's who this was addressed to historically. Believe in the Lord. Yes, we all ought to believe in the Lord and uh, your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. Was the promise that you will succeed, was that a universal promise made to everybody who reads this verse? No. This was a promise made to the people of Judah that day because they had received a direct word from God via the prophet that they didn't even need to fight, that God would fight for them and that they would succeed. And so here Jehoshaphat is admonishing them to remember what they heard the day before in Jerusalem when they humbled themselves and went to God and asked God to help them and to deliver them, and God said he would. 
So here, Prophet Manasseh Jordan, by the way, let me back this up so you can hear it again. Listen to the way he applies this verse. He's apparently telling us if we want to succeed, we need to listen to him, the prophet. You know, the Bible says something very awesome. Second Chronicles 20, 20 says, Believe in the Lord God, so shall you be established. Believe in his prophet, so shall you prosper. Mm-hmm. Amos says that there's a hunger in the land. But this hunger is not for food, it's not for water. But this hunger is to hear the mighty voice of God. And I believe with all of my heart that we are in a decade, we are in an era, we are in an epic where God is really calling those mm-hmm. that are called by his name that can humble themselves, seek his face, hear his voice, then he will touch their land. This guy is slick. And he he's about a slick he's probably the slickest package I've seen in false prophets to date. He's slick. But he is so, so, so venomous here. No. I'm sorry, we don't need to listen to you, Prophet Manasseh, in order for our land to be healed. You are a false prophet, sir. Wow. And I just want you to talk to us a little bit. How can we hear his voice real clearly? Open your Bible and read it. If you need to hear God's voice with your ears, read your Bible out loud. You know, it's interesting that you said that because... I can't wait to hear your your answer, Prophet I've been doing and I've been preaching all around the world. And it's the first time I came to Europe, I taught about. I, I, I swear, I think he's got diamond cufflinks. Prayer. Mm. And even in this conference that we had, I talked about the prayer closet starting in Matthew. Mm. And with all of my heart, the thing that I've noticed, the more I grow in him daily. Mm. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, right. Please tell us more. You're so holy. You're so righteous, prophet. Is that to hear his voice, it is when you are in a season of consecration. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you'll you'll hear God's voice when you're in a season of consecration. See if you can figure, out, figure this out so that you can be like prophet Manasseh and hear the voice of God directly yourself. Mm. And prayer. Yes. You can only hear God's voice in prayer. Oh, yeah. Mm. God's voice when you're frustrated before the Lord. Mm. That is the only time where God can speak. And so those people that are going to be able to hear his voice of what God is saying for this next fresh anointing. Mm. Fresh anointing. Yeah, we, here, We've heard a lot of people talk about fresh anointings. Yeah, Todd Bentley talked a lot about that too in his fresh fire ministry. Yeah, it wasn't very fresh. It's going to hit you and your families that are watching. It's going to hit your as a all is going to be people that are seeking his face, Mm. getting on their knees, Mm. getting before the throne of God, Mm. then they'll be able to hear what God is saying. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, completely ambiguous and um, bizarre and chock full of law. Yeah, this guy is a false prophet. He's a charlatan. This is one of these guys that I don't even think he believes anything he says. I think he's totally in it for the money. And boy, has he found a way to make a lot of money for himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We talking about money. Wait till you hear the sermon we're going to be reviewing on the other end of the break. 
All right, we're up on our uh, second break. If you would uh, like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. It's like what not to wear for theology. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Chris Roseboro here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Consider this a service for those folks in Virginia Beach um, hunkering down for Hurricane Irene. If they're looking for something to do there, they can um, listen to a sermon review of uh, one of their local pastors, Steve Kelly. Transplant from obviously, I think down in Australia, or maybe even New Zealand, not sure which, but kind of has that accent. I can't tell the difference between a Kiwi accent and an Australian accent, and I apologize to our listeners in the Southern Hemisphere for that. Hey, oh. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via 
Wave Church with the waves crashing down there in Virginia Beach with Hurricane Irene coming through. Uh, we're going to be reviewing the sermon, Five Ways to Gain and Profit. i got to tell you, never heard a sermon quite like this. <laughs> oh, man. Steve Kelly presiding, by the way. And uh, this has got to be one of the most unique <laughs> misinterpretation Bible twists I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, this... <laughs> I, you know, I don't even... I, I can't describe it. Five Ways to Gain in Profit. That's the name of the sermon. Get ready. Your head is going to be spinning, I promise. Yeah, let's just kill the music and let's get right to the sermon itself. Here, Here's uh, Steve Kelly from Wave Church, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Five Ways to Gain in Profit. Here we go. Let's pray. Father, we ask you today to speak to us for your word. Lord, I pray that in this message that it wouldn't just be me, but Lord, you would speak through me. That Lord, that wouldn't just be me speaking and just you speaking through me, but Lord, you would help us to hear and receive the word in such a way it would bring about the change that you purpose for this word to be brought about. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Praise God. Matthew 16, verse 26. And the Bible says here, this is Jesus speaking. Matthew 16, verse 26. Who's interested in what Jesus has to say? All right. He says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? Well, how many think that will be good right there to gain the whole world? How many think that will be good? This is not a trick question. It's a simple question. How many think that will be good? Jesus said, what good would it be if someone were to gain the whole world? So, Yet, so there is good in gaining the world. How many believe that we're called as the church, not just wave church, but the church, the body of Christ, is to gain the whole world? Amen. We're to capture the artists, we're to capture the politicians. Oh, boy. Yeah, you can already see the direction this thing's heading. It's heading straight for the rocks. Good night. Um, so apparently he's just chopped, just out of context, Matthew chapter 20, uh, sorry, Matthew 16, verse 26. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And uh, we're pausing there as we're chopping up the sentence. And we're, we're, we're meditating on the idea that it's a good thing to gain the whole world. Is that what Jesus was teaching in Matthew chapter 16? Not on your life. <laughs> oh, man. Do you have your Bible? Flip on over to Matthew chapter 16. Let's put this thing in context and um, we'll just uh, we'll start to work it out, you know, from the biblical text itself to see if what Jesus was really saying is it's a good thing here for you to gain the world. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. I know you're sitting there going, Chris, I mean, you've already got me convinced. I, why go through all of this? It needs to be done. There are some folks down there in Virginia Beach, who need some listening while they're hunkered down while Irene blows through. So, um, Matthew 16. Um, now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, kind of a, a, an archaeological historical um, note here. Caesarea Philippi is technically outside of the boundaries of Israel. This is north of Israel. And one of the things they're famous for is in, in Caesarea Philippi, there was some kind of a a cliff uh, or a, a rock face wall that had a bunch of different little grottos cut out for it, and all the it was kind of like a mini an out mini outdoor pantheon, if you would. So there were little grottos to all of the different 
deities, uh, the Greco-Roman deities, right there in Caesarea Philippi. Now, the text doesn't say that this is the spot where Jesus had stopped. However, I, I think it's kind of significant. If you know about Caesarea Philippi, you know what the, all these little you know grottos for all of these little deities kind of carved out right there. Uh, so it's I think it's you could say okay look at look at all these different deities here um jesus sets this as the backdrop for this question who do people say the son of man is who do people say the son of man is now this passage isn't about gaining the world this is about jesus this in fact this passage couldn't be more blatantly about Jesus if Jesus had tried, okay? Uh, this it, Jesus purp- purposely is steering the conversation here, asking the question, who do people say that he I am? Who do people say the son of man is? And Jesus here isn't looking, for, you know, he's not looking to, you know, to to gauge the latest political opinion poll to see if his uh, if his uh, if, if his approval ratings are up. It's nothing like that at all. Who do people say the Son of Man is? That's the context of what's going on in this passage. So they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Okay. So we got, so Jesus is a prophet in in the minds of many people. It's either John the Baptist come back from the dead, Elijah who never died, or maybe one of the other prophets like Jeremiah, right? Okay. So Jesus said to them, yeah, but who do you say that I am? Okay, so we go from general scuttlebutt out there, people trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is. They they know he's a man of God kind of sort of ish, but and so he's in the prophet of category. So Jesus pushes harder. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." Now, that is a big fish that he just flopped right out there. Sorry, yeah, fisherman pun intended. Okay, when we read this, we got to keep this in mind. Okay, the Christ, we kind of miss the gist of that. Peter here is literally saying that Jesus is the Messiah, okay, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, the Christ, uh, you know, ha Christos in the Greek there. Um, that's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah, Mashiach, okay? So you are the Messiah, and and this, this idea, you are the son of the living God. So Peter here is affirming that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament and that he is Emmanuel, God in human flesh, okay? Because to say that Jesus is the son of God makes him equal with God, okay? I mean, this is the, this is like the pinnacle moment right here, okay? Ha! All right, you're the Messiah and you're God. You are the Son of God. You are God the Son in human flesh, okay? Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whether you, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged his, charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Messiah, the Christ. Okay. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen. Okay. Peter just affirmed that he was the Messiah. And Peter does not understand what the job of the Messiah is, why the Messiah is here, why God the Son is on earth. Okay. This shall never happen to you. Far be it from you, Lord. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's a huge thing to say in that context. These disciples knew what that meant. They had seen people nailed to crosses by the Romans. They knew that those who were taking up their crosses were the ones who were on their way to die. Those poor souls. Yeah, they may have been thieves and murderers and stuff like that. But good night. Do you know what crucifixion is? Jesus here is telling his disciples to deny themselves and consider themselves to be like those sentenced to death, carrying their crosses and about to be tortured and murdered to death. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For who would say, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in, glory, in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now that's the whole that's that's the whole passage. That's the context. That's the immediate context. That's the story. Okay? And you'll notice verse 26 What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Nowhere is Jesus saying, Listen, you need to go out and you know and gain the whole world. This is a good thing. You need to, you should embrace that. This is said in the context, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Okay? Now we continue with this so-called sermon. Now you know the context. Now you know just how badly Steve Kelly is mangling God's word here. 
where they capture and, and lead the church is called to gain the world, to reach and God so loved the world that he gave. So God wants us to reach out to the world. God wants us to gain the world. God wants you to gain your place in this world and what he's called you to do. He wants you to be an influencer. He wants you to be an influencer in your world, your sphere of influence. So when it asks the question, what, what, what good would it be if you were to gain the whole world? There's a whole lot of good in gaining the world. There's a whole lot of good in you changing the world in which you live. You have been here? Don't read the opening of Jesus' statement as being something that's negative. He's asking the question, what good would it be if you were to gain the whole world, yet forfeit? That wasn't the opening of Jesus' statement. That was mid-statement. And the beginning of it is denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. You kind of skip that part, which changes the whole flavor of the passage, don't you think? Their soul. That's the distinction. What good would it be if you gained the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? In other words, Jesus is talking about it's nothing wrong with having an ambitious life and a passion to believe God to gain the whole world. But if you gain the whole world and lose your soul... What good would it be if you're the number one golfer in all the worlds and yet lose your way? Um, yeah, uh, Steve, um, everybody's bored and dented, trespasses and sins, and has already lost their way. They need to be found by Christ. And you're not preaching his word correctly at all. You're keeping them lost in this mishandling and twisting of this text. Come on, someone help me here. And I'm not having a shot at anybody there. I'm just trying to give perspective to what Jesus is saying here. What good would it be if someone was to gain the whole... If you were trying to give perspective to what Jesus was saying there, then you would have read the passage in context, because the whole passage is about him. ...and yet forfeit their soul. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So Jesus isn't against you gaining the world, but not at the expense of your soul. Come on, somebody say amen. Oh, why, why don't you give us the steps then so that we can gain the world without forfeiting our soul? I'm sure you've got it all figured out. I'm sure you got that locked in. That in the process of, you know, good and gain and profit, there's nothing wrong with gain. There's nothing wrong with profit. Amen. There's nothing wrong with good. What good would it be if a man gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So God wants you to be a person that influences the world, but not at the expense of your soul. Can you say amen? And so I just thought this morning... No, I won't say amen to this. This is just an outright mangling of God's word. I've had this word in me for several, several different occasions, and yet every time I've looked to bring it, I just felt like the Lord said, hang on to it, and actually had me move in the direction. Well, today, I got a green light. I was with, I said, now, God, I, I'm, I'm open. This is the message I'm thinking. Really, God is the one who gave you the green light to preach this message, yet it completely mangles Jesus' own words. Why would God, the Holy Spirit, give you the green light to preach a message that mangles his words? Hmm? And, you know, you, you're, you're in charge of this church, not me. So you tell me if not to do this and I got the green light, this is the time to bring the words. Amen. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize. I'm just trying to let you know what I feel. And so, so I want to speak to this morning on five ways to gain and profit without losing your soul.
Five ways to gain and profit without losing your soul. So you ready for it? You understand, I hope, if you've been in this church. By the way, keep in mind now, the way he set this up, God is the one who gave him the green light for this. So, I mean, if you don't agree with this sermon, well, you're going against God because God's the one who told him to preach it. Any length of time, you would know that I believe it is the will of God for you to gain and for you to profit. Amen. But what good would it be if you gained the whole world and yet lost your soul? In other words, when I talk to pastors and leaders, and I see so many of them are ambitious about their church and ambitious about their ministry, maybe a pastor who spends all his time trying to get his church to be a church that reaches the world, but he forfeits his family in the process. What good would it be if a pastor pastors a mega church, he's influencing the world, but he's lost his family in the process? I mean, it's good that what you've done, but you've lost your family. That's not good. Come on, somebody say amen. What good would it be if a traveling ministry, a person who's traveling all over the world, preaching Jesus and influencing the world, but he's neglected or she's neglected their family and they've gained the world, but lost their family. Let me tell you, there's no good in that. Come on, somebody say amen. You don't have to choose. What good would it be if you had a large, successful, thriving business as a businessman, a businesswoman, and you've, you know, you've gained the world and you've got wealth and you've got affluence, but you lost your family in the process. You see, it is the will of God for you and I to gain and to profit, to be the head and not the tail. But it takes wisdom to do that is just really how did you get that out of that text that it's God's will for us to gain into profit to be the head and not the tail where on earth are you getting this from from that text unbelievable i mean the story, the the text is about Jesus the great confession that Jesus is the messiah and God the son in human flesh he's turned it into a you know and God wants you to profit and have influence and be the head and not the tail Boy, this sure does itch scratching er, scratch itching ears, doesn't it? But it's a complete mishandling of the text. And this is blasphemy. This is exactly what it means to blaspheme God's name, to take God's name in vain. To do that without losing your family, your credibility, your reputation, your integrity. Come on, somebody say amen. And so I want to talk to you about that. I'm trying to set, I'm trying to get, even get you hungry to want to hear it. Because I believe, I believe with all my heart, if we actually set these things right in the beginning, before we actually gain the world and we figure out what we want to see in our lives, then we actually actually have the right kind of, if you like, railroad tracks that will help guide us. Amen? So there's the first thing you've got to do if you want to gain and profit without losing your soul. Number one, you've got to make your soul a priority. Yeah, man. So where, where are these steps laid out in the scripture? Um Number one, if you want to gain the world without forfeiting your soul, I mean, you've got to make sure that while you're in the pursuit of gaining the world, because that's the thing that God wants you to do, uh, here's step number one to make sure that you don't forfeit your soul in the process. Number one, make your soul a priority. You got any texts on there that lay out these steps the way you're preaching them? Like any passages at all, sir? Amen. In other words, gain and profit and the world is there. But Jesus actually really spells it out. He goes, yet forfeits his soul. And it says, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus is really trying to talk to you about your whole life is more than your gain and your success. 
that it's a whole package. Amen. And you've got to make your soul a pro, not just bottom line, not just balance sheet, not just business, not just work. Come on, not just church, but you've got to make your soul a priority. You've got to do an audit on your soul. You've got to make sure your soul is something that is important to you. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you got. This is all law. What'd you do with Jesus, by the way? I mean, does he have anything to do with your church except for the one? He's the guy who wants you to profit and have influence and go chase after well, gaining the whole world. Yeah. And let me show you how important your soul is. And I know this morning I'm talking down there to our South Campus. I forgot to welcome you as I started preaching. So welcome to our South Campus. It's good to have them with us. Come on, give them a big welcome. Amen. I was down there this morning before I was here, down there greeting them and praying over the prayer requests. And so I'm in two places. Some of them are going, wasn't he just down at South and now he's preaching? Where is that guy? All right. And so here's what it says in Psalm 16, verse 6. It says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have delight. Uh, surely I have a delightful inheritance. I love that. Listen to it. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Um, Psalm 16, huh? Now let's take a look. Um, if you got your Bible, flip on over to Psalm 16, and um, let's put this in context and get, notice that uh, he ripped it out of context. We have no idea what the immediate context of Psalm 16 is, but. Oh boy, we like a verse that says something like the boundary lines have fallen in my favor. Boy, that sounds like somebody who's going to gain the whole world. Yeah, we like that. <laughs> money, 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 power, influence. Yeah, 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 that's great stuff. Is that what God's teaching here? Psalm chapter 16. This is a psalm of David. It begins with, Preserve me, O Lord, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I I have no good part apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. their, Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Hmm. You'll notice the prophecy about Jesus in verses 9 and 10. Yeah, here God isn't promising you that your boundary lines are going to increase so that you have you that you possess the whole world. That's really not what's going on here. In fact, verse 5 kind of sets the point here. The whole boundary line thing, that's the metaphor. The reality, it's not about land. It's about the Lord. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You will hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What's his inheritance? The Lord. 
The Lord is his inheritance. The Lord is his great reward. He is glad because of the Lord, and he's praying to God to preserve him. And then you have the prophecy about Jesus. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Here we've got a direct prophecy about Christ. And, well, of course, you know, that's two chapters now that, um, well, not chapters, two verses from two chapters, each of which is really about Jesus and the fulfillment of it is Jesus. And the only thing that, uh, well, Steve Kelly can see is power and money and influence and gaining the whole world, but making sure that he dotted his I's and crossed his T's so that in gaining the whole world, he doesn't, of course, forfeit his soul. You wouldn't want to do that. No, 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 no. But, yo, but pursuing influence and, and having the boundary lines fall in a great way, that's some good stuff right there. My itching ears really want to hear that stuff. How many want the boundary lines for you to fall in pleasant places? Do you know what really the psalmist is saying here? Life is good. Do you know, I hear some people say, man, I always get the, you know, my boss, every boss I've ever had is a jerk. And I've heard, you know, guys or girls say, man, every person I've ever dated has been a loser. I've heard every teacher I've ever had in school has had it in for me. And yeah, it seems to me, I'm, everyone's going to get ripped off. It's going to happen to me. And just negative after, you know, I've been picked on. I'm a victim. But listen to the psalmist here. The boundary lines have fallen for me. In pleasant places. Do you know what the psalmist is saying here? Life is good. How many want to be the person that says life is good? Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now look what happens. This is the key. He says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. That, that's the key? The key to what? My heart instructs me. Did you hear that? In the night season, my soul is instructed. In the what? In the night season? Where are you getting that from the psalm? What are you talking about? Did you hear it? He says, the boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. I have a delightful inheritance. I, he says, will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night, in the tough times, in the darkness, in the dark place. Now, now he's allegorizing the text out of context. So he ripped the verse out of context, and now he's allegorizing his out-of-context verse. Unbelievable. When I can't see far, when I can't see anything in that night season where I, maybe I don't have the kind of sight and vision, but I know I will praise the Lord. The, the boundary lines for me have fallen in. I'm serious. I, I want to know, do these guys go to seminary to learn how to twist God's word this way? I'm serious. Pleasant places. I have a delightful inheritance. The Lord counsels me. And even when it's dark at night and I can't see, my heart is leading me. Keep going. Keep going. My soul is leading me. I've got the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. This is just a moment. This is just a chapter. It's a chapter in the book. It's not the whole. Now we're, we've slipped into some kind of motivational speech where he's uh, throwing in applause lines, apparently 
book. It's not the whole story. You're going to get through the night season. You're going to come out the other side. It's going to be okay. You're going to make it. Well, where's that come from? The boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. I have a delightful inheritance. The Lord counsels me. And even in the night season, when it's dark and lonely and confused and everything in the natural looks like there's no reason to hope and everything in the natural looks like I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. My heart is instructing me in the night season. Keep on giving. Keep on breathing. Keep on keeping on. Press on. The best is yet to come. You're going to make it. This is not going to be my heart, my soul. Come on. Boy, he's really got himself worked up over nothing, don't you think? Maybe it's that he's, you know, he thinks that by shouting and carrying on this way, it'll create the aura that this is really what God's Word says when God's Word doesn't say any of this nonsense. Make your soul a priority. And I want to tell you, your soul is instructing you in your night season. Just make sure you don't have the wrong... Uh, Seriously, my soul is instructing me in the night season. You, You got that from that psalm. You have no idea what you're talking about, sir. None whatsoever. I mean, the... Again, this is the same kind of Manasseh Jordan-ish type of nonsense from a guy who I think is purposely trying to keep his, um, well, his followers uh, rolling in the dough so that he can be rolling in the dough. I, that would be my guess. Instructions. Make sure you got the right stuff in your soul before the night season comes. Because whatever's in your soul is what's going to be instructing you in the night season. You hear somebody say, that's ridiculous. Say something negative about you, and what you can do is you can become a victim of that kind of negative comment. But if your soul's instructing you in the night season, don't worry, you're bigger than that. Listen, that's not who you are. Don't let that get to you. Sounds like a Joel Osteen affirmation set here. Um, to you, maybe something happens, you get downsized in your company, and you've lost your job. It's a night season, but your soul will instruct you as long as you got the right things in your soul in the first place. This promotion time. It's law, law, law. This isn't the gospel. This is something completely different. It's a better day. God's taking you onwards and upwards. The best is yet to come. There's another job waiting out there for you. Come on, somebody say amen. The doctor tells you you've got a diagnosis. He told Cheryl, I met with a couple just this week, a beautiful couple. Oh, church. Just an amazing couple. They pastor a church in Arizona. He's 41 years of age, has a mega church. And he told, he sat down and, and just had dinner with Sharon and I on Thursday night and told us he'd been diagnosed with an illness. That the doctor, this is what the doctor told him whatever you do, don't Google it, don't look it up. It will discourage you. It is the most awful illness that you could ever imagine. And I just want to tell you don't look it up. You've got a big weekend coming up. Wait till after the weekend. It's really discouraging. But to sit there and to talk to that pastor who's got a beautiful wife and four children, all under the age of just 13, and to sit there, and I want to tell you, I saw a man whose soul was instructing him in the night season. I met. Yeah, you saw a man whose soul was instructing him in the night season. That's not what Psalm 16 is teaching. This is ridiculous with a man who isn't given in to all the doom and gloom. I sat with a man, a husband and a wife who pastor a church and I want to tell you something. Your soul is instructing you in the night season. Amen. In times of famine, 
in times of poverty, in tough times. That's exactly what happened to David and Saul. Uh, yeah, David and uh, Paul and Silas. Where did David come from? Saul, Paul, and Silas. And the Bible says they were beaten and thrown in the inner dungeon. You would have thought, and they were forbidden to preach in the name of Jesus. They were beaten within an inch of their life. They're thrown in the inner dungeon. And at midnight, in the night season... When you go to bed and you're all by yourself and you've only got your own thoughts and your own words, the Bible says that they began to sing praises. What comes out of you in the night season? Whatever it is that's coming out of you is what your soul is instructing you. If you wake up in the morning more negative and depressed... Let let me just ask a question. Is this what Jesus was talking about when he said, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? That Jesus, what Jesus had in mind, really, what he was really trying to say was, you need to apply, you know, Psalm sixteen, verse six here, and make sure that your um, that your soul is instructing you in the night season. That way, you can pursue gaining the whole world and not lose your soul. Is that? Is, do you think that was what Jesus was really getting at there in Matthew chapter uh, sixteen? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not buying it. I, I, I think this guy is a charlatan. Rest and more fearful. You've got the wrong stuff going on in your soul. The Bible says that David said, "Bless the Lord, O my soul." You've got to train your soul. Come on, somebody say, "Amen." You got to teach yourself just how to look at things. Amen. You got to teach yourself just how to look at things. I remember the time when, you know, we just recently took all these guys on a motorcycle trip and two bikes went down, you know, and and we prayed. Remember we got all the stage out here on all the motorcycles out here on the stage? Remember that? What a fun night that was. Got all the bikes. I love riding my Harley Davidson, which is the will of God as opposed to those other little cheap copy bikes. I love riding my Harley Davidson. It is the will of God for you to ride a Harley Davidson in Jesus' name. Not What does this Harley Davidson illustration have to do with helping us correctly understand what Jesus was teaching in Matthew chapter 16? Hmm? Not one of those little cheap Japanese crotch rockets and not one of those little German wannabe Harleys, BMWs. You need a real motorcycle, American-made motorcycle, Harley-Davidson. I see some people shaking their heads at me right now. It's okay. I'm only joking. But see, your soul can be instructing. You could have a night season. I could have just given you a night season. What is a night season? Um, Psalm... 16 doesn't even really teach that at all, sir. But, you know, the truth is people said, you know, well, Pastor, I don't understand how that happened. We prayed. Well, that's one way of looking at it. But my way of looking at it is this. Imagine if we didn't pray. I mean, thank God everyone walked away. Come on, somebody say amen. So you just got to teach yourself. Amen. Amen. Number two, you've got to remove all obstacles. See, here Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? In other words, there are some obstacles to your soul. There are some things in your life that could actually cause you to damage your soul. Come on. Yeah, um, yeah, here's just some things in life that might potentially cause you to damage your soul. Yeah, the Scripture doesn't describe it that way. The, The Scripture makes it clear that we're all dead in trespasses and sins. 
And because of our fallen, sinful human nature, our corrupted flesh, uh, we're all children of the devil, um, objects of God's wrath. That the natural default setting of every human descended from Adam and Eve is sinner, uh, dead in trespasses and sins, at war with God. So it's not just a matter of avoiding a couple of things that might potentially, you know, damage your soul. Unbelievable. Somebody say amen. God wants you to gain. He wants you to profit. Have we we established that? Say amen if we've established that. No, you haven't. Down there in South, have we established that? God wants you to gain. God wants you to profit. Come on. You know, it is the will of God, and preachers are allowed to profit, and pastors are allowed to profit just like anyone else is. Yeah, that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 16, how, how preachers are allowed to, quote, profit. Amen. They're allowed to gain. There's nothing wrong with that. Business people, God wants you to profit. Educators, God wants you to profit. Amen. So in education and medicine, God wants you to profit. And I, you ought to be able to make some profit out of your vocation. Come on. Okay. But don't forfeit your soul. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't forfeit your soul. Yeah. You know, unbelievable. Yeah. You're dead in trespasses and sins until Christ raises you from the dead through the proclamation of repentance and the forgiveness of your sins won by Christ on the cross. Here's the second thing. You've got to remove all obstacles. Look what the Bible says, the right of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Yeah, just throw it off, you know, because it's hindering you from, you know, it, it, that's, that sin stuff might get in the way of, uh, uh, you know, and cause you to forfeit your soul while you're pursuing profit, of course, because that's what Jesus wants you to do. Look what it says. Throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. Did you hear it? Throw off everything that hinders. Everything means there's a whole lot of stuff coming after you. Let us throw off everything that hinders. That's why the Bible says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. There's some things you could have in your life as a way of your lifestyle that could actually be in some ways justifiable, that could be in some ways permissible, but maybe not necessarily beneficial. So you've got to throw off everything that hinders. It might be a right, but it could be a hindrance to the plan and purpose of God in your life. You might have a habit, you might have a certain way of thinking, and it could be hindering the profit and the gain that God... So all you got to do is just clean up your act. That's it. It's all on you. You don't need the forgiveness of your sins won by Christ on the cross. You don't need to repent. You just need to clean up your act and get rid of those things that might be hindering you. God wants you to have, and you can hang on to it, but it's hindering you. And it may not even be sinful, but it's hindering you. All things are permissible, but not permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Amen. You might have a personality quirk, a personality trait, a way of doing things that, you know, maybe is, you know, anyway, you know what I'm saying. All right. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Everything that hinders and sin that easily entangles. You know, people say, you know, can you be a Christian in sin? Oh, yeah, you can. Well, the Bible says here, it easily, don't look at me so holy as if you've never sinned as a Christian. 
Matter of fact, people say, do you ever get, you ever get worried about the fact that Christians sin? And I think, well, I think we're in good company. I think Paul said, you know, about himself, he goes, this woeful man that I am, the things that I should do, I don't do. The things that I shouldn't do, I do. Who will free me from this body of sin? And so I'm not too worried about the people who are sinning and are repenting. I'm more about the ones that are hiding their sin. What about those who are being forgiven? Because Paul then goes on in Romans chapter 8 to say, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and... For sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Hmm? Why don't you talk about that part? Come on, covering it up. Amen. And so sin that easily entangles. Not a person in this room that doesn't actually have things that everything that hinders and sin that is easily entangled in your life. He goes, throw it off and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning a shame. Okay, here we go. This is a gospel nugget sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Listen to it one more time. Sin that so easily entangles. Amen. That's why Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. You know, that gospel nugget sure did come in and go out pretty quick, didn't it? Yeah, it didn't, it didn't even make any sense. I mean, there was the gospel. He talked about it, but it didn't make any sense at all. Hmm. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now, God is not talking about self-mutilation. He's not talking about literally cutting off your hands. What he's saying is... Now, remember, all of these are the steps that you need to take while, you're, while you are trying to gain the whole world. These are the steps that you take so that you don't forfeit your soul. These are the things you've got to do to make sure you don't, whoops, I accidentally forfeit my soul while pursuing the, gaining the whole world. Is remove it. If your eye causes you to sin, stop looking. Gouge out the eye. The picture he's trying to tell you is if you are struggling with pornography on the internet, get rid of your computer. I need it for work. Get rid of Safari. Don't even have it as an option. Get rid of it. Throw it off. See, God wants you to gain. God wants you to profit. Come on. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Yeah, again, the, the text from Matthew 16 is about Jesus. It's not about profiting. Forfeits his soul. Come on. And so get rid of the grave. Remove the computer. Stay away from the weaknesses. Come on. I was talking to a guy this week. He's a professional hunter. He's a pastor of a church in Phoenix, Arizona, and he's a professional hunter. He kills elephants from 35 feet with a bow. The brother needs help. Let me tell you. I want the biggest gun I can get, and I want to be behind a fence that the elephant can't get through just in case I missed. You hear me here? And uh, he told me the story about this lion. And the lion, listen to this, the lion big, big old lion, and, he, and there's a fence there, and, 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 and the lion saw uh, a horse 
on the other side of the fence. And the horse, of course, thought it was safe because there was a fence. True story. And so the horse was coming up along the fence and the lion was just lying by the fence. And as the horse came by, the horse saw the lion. The lion saw the horse, obviously. And just as the horse went by, the lion just stuck out its claw through the fence and pulled the horse down. And then systematically pulled the horse through the fence. And there's the lesson. Stay away from the fence. See, sin that so easily entangles. If you're on the edge of sin, you with me here. You, you, the Bible says the enemy seeks. You know, isn't it interesting that the way he's defining sin and handling it here, it just sounds like something, oh, it's just really easy. Just avoid it. Don't worry. Just avoid it and, you'll, and you won't do it. Hmm. Around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. But if you're away from the fence, the lion can't get you. The paw won't grab you. It's not how close can you get to the fence without sinning. It's how far away from the fence can you be so that that thing can't get you. Come on, somebody give the Lord a hand. Amen. Come on. You got to remove the obstacles that are in your life. In and of itself... And even when you do, you still will sin. Innocent and justifiable. But listen to the writer of Hebrews. The sin that so easily entangles. Throw aside everything that hinders. What are the things hindering you right now from being a person who would see gain and profit in your life? Oh, it's serious. Apparently, you want to see gain and profit in your life. Just stop sinning. In Jesus' name. What are the things that are just slowing you down? Amen. Number three, if you want to gain and profit without losing your soul, listen to this, you've got to be aware of bad company. Amen. Come on down. No, I'm with you here, starting with wolves in sheep's clothing. <clears throat> I can think of one in particular right now. Down there in the wolf has an Australian accent. I want to hear you say it amen nice and loud. You got to be aware. Can we all say it nice and loud? Come on, everybody. Here, say amen. You've got to be aware of the influence bad company has. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Amen. Bad company corrupts good character. Amen. That means everybody needs to flee the building right now at Wave Church. The wrong relationships, the wrong people. And I'm not talking necessarily about people that aren't Christians. I often think sometimes it's the ones that are Christians and be most being be most guarded about. Christians that are hurt, Christians that are wounded, Christians that are offended, Christians that are negative, Christians that are critical, Christians that love to point the finger and try and tell you rumors and can you know see all those things. Bad company corrupts good character. I know of a young man that loved God. He was about to commit suicide as he even before he was a Christian, he was going to commit suicide. He had an engagement. His fiance he found out was cheating on him. He was heartbroken. As a result of that, he came to church and I met him. He gave his life to Jesus. He was a person who loved God's house. He'd tell you, his whole life turned around. His whole relation with God came alive. He became an incredibly successful business person, a builder, a successful multi-millionaire at a very young age, had the world at his feet. Gain and profit was his way of living. And then, of course, he was believing God for a, a new relationship, but he was so hurt from the previous one, he was very slow to actually engage back into another relationship. And I remember this one particular time, he kind of 
I noticed this girl and I knew the girl. I knew that, you know, her attitude toward church wasn't the best. It wasn't all that positive. I knew she was really against the whole idea of the baptism and the Holy Spirit. She was on her own journey. You with me here? And so I was thinking, this is probably not the best kind of, yeah, I'd like to see her just progress a little further and, you know, good girl. Let me translate this for you in um, word faith movement speak. Are you ready? There was a guy in my church who was a multimillionaire and a tither, and he got in this relationship with a woman who wasn't hip with my preaching and teaching and didn't believe that it was biblical. That's where we are in the story. But got a ways to go, and, you know, no no judgment on her, but just hope for her to find herself with a healthy attitude toward life and toward church and toward people, had a real propensity toward negativity. And when I'd meet with her, there's one of those people that just drained you and yet poured into her as best we could. And this relationship between this young man and this girl continued to go on. And this young man who loved God's house, the church could do nothing wrong, that he loved God. All of a sudden, I watched him begin to change. And over a period of six months to 12 months, and then he finally decided he was going to marry this girl. And he did. And and then, of course, you know, how many know that the, 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 the person, you know, pillow talk has a huge influence on your soul? You would be over a period of time just wore this guy down and all of a sudden this guy's starting to pick up some of her funk and some of her negativity and before you know it he he left that church and with attitude about the church and this is a guy who loved the church the church he got saved in I thought what happened the only thing that changed was that relationship but it's a funny thing because wherever you go there you again let me translate so the girl uh, he got married to the girl he got wise to the false teaching in the church he left the church and as a result of the church lost a tither a guy who was a multimillionaire and a tither and they're blaming it on the woman because she wasn't down with the whole gifts of the holy spirit thing the story continues you are ended up being over part of Hillsong Church, and before you know it, he's you know he loved Hillsong Church. Hillsong Church could have been over a period of weeks and months, and maybe a year or two. All of a sudden, Hillsong Church isn't a great church, and he you know, I'm going to go somewhere else. And he goes to New Zealand, him and his wife, and they go to New Zealand, and 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 they're in another friend of mine's church, Paul DeYoung's church. Paul DeYoung, the nicest pastor in the world. Man, he's bouncing around to uh, one heretical church after another. Paul DeYoung, yeah, okay. And all of a sudden, you know, he loves it. He's telling me how good it is. But I just thought, give it time. And sure enough, within a year or two, this guy started going around. This was a friend of mine. Was a friend of mine. Was a friend of mine. Is no longer a friend of mine. And he started going around with petitions, trying to get people to say things about the church and about leadership and just really causing all... He suddenly had this revelation that we shouldn't tithe. This was the most generous man I knew. So they lost a tither because he got wise to what the scriptures teach and exercised some biblical discernment through the help of the relationship that he was in. He realized that this guy, Brian Houston and Paul DeJong, were all charlatans and not teaching what's in accord with sound scripture, and he rallied people to do what was right. Got it. Okay, yeah, I, I'm with you. He first got saved. What? The only thing that changed was the relationship that he was in. Are you with me here? Friends, let me tell you something. Bad company corrupts good character. I know some people's heart. Yeah, they lost a multi-million dollar tither there, it's, and, and it's all that girl's fault. Good on that girl. I, if, if this guy, if 
this guy and this gal that he's telling the story about, if you, for whatever reason, find this podcast and hear this message and hear my review, please contact me. I want to know the story because, uh, yeah, this might be worth doing an interview uh, here at Fighting for the Faith about. Toward this is, I just want to help them. I know they're in a funk. I know they're negative. But friends, I don't understand. Listen, if you get, you know, 12 good apples and put one bad apple in the group of the good apples, do all the good apples miraculously change the, the bad apple to good? No, every time, every time, every time, every, every, every time you get one bad apple and put it in a group of good apples every time, without fail, every time, the other good apples become bad. And that's why the Bible says, be, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Don't be surprised when some people get sidetracked. Paul said, Demas has forsaken me. He's loved this present world more than things of God. Some people love God, but have unholy alliances that drag them down over a period of time. Come on, somebody say amen. See, your soul. What does it profit a man? So the takeaway from that is, is that if you if you are being exposed to somebody who's talking down uh, Wave Church and uh, Steve Kelly here, or Brian Houston and Paul DeYoung, well then uh, that's just bad company. That's gonna, that's corrupt and good character. That's what's going on there. You need to stop listening to those people who are saying negative things about these men of God. You get it? Uh, that was the point of that illustration. And if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul. Number four, I believe if you can actually gain and profit, you've always got to be eternity-minded. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Listen to what it says. He has set eternity in the human heart. Every single person in this room, everybody sitting in South in our movie cinema down there. And I'm so excited about building our South campus this year. How many are excited about that? And seeing Wave Church down there in the south side. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm not excited at all. It would just mean more people being taught false doctrine and uh, risking an eternity in hell as a result of this wolf in sheep's clothing. Awesome. But the truth is, there's not a person in this room that God has not a set eternity in your heart. Walt Disney, when he died, what did he decide to do? He wanted to have himself, he wanted to have himself put in suspended animation, if you like. And, and, and so that if somehow that, that, uh, well, animation is the wrong word, but I'm thinking of Walt Disney. But he actually tried to hold his body in some sort of preservation mode that if somebody could find the cure to death. <laughs> What's that? That somebody who God has set eternity in the human heart, that even for all that he's created and all that of his creativity, he realized there's still more to life. Still trying to find out what else is there to life. Come on. But the Bible makes it clear. A man's years on the earth, 80 years. If, if by profit of gain, 90, 70, 80 years. A human lifespan. Some are shorter, some are longer. But at the end of the day, we're all going to face that reality. But there's more to us than just this flesh and blood lifespan here. God has set eternity in our hearts. That's the fascination people have with supernatural things. They're looking for eternity. 
They're looking for something. That's the fascination people have with the, with the occult. They're looking for something that is eternal. They're looking for something more. Well, where does that drive come from? That's the fascination science has with exploring the universe and the galaxies. They're looking. What else is out there? That's the fascination people have with other, other life sources out there because God has set eternity in our hearts. We are wired with eternal thinking. Come on, somebody say amen. And he's, the Bible says God set eternity in your heart. So you've always got to be eternally minded. You can profit and gain the whole world, but if your soul is not eternally minded, you can make it all about you. Amen. So you've got to set your soul to be eternity minded so that then you don't forfeit your soul. That's not how people are saved, by the way. They're saved by being brought to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins in Jesus' name. Strange, don't you think that that's all kind of getting left out here? Amen. Number five, you've always got to start with the end in mind. What is it? Oh, okay. So, so Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 16, when he said, what does it profit a man uh, if he uh, gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? He was really having in mind these five steps, including always beginning with the end in mind. That's what Jesus was really trying to teach there. Profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul. I've sat down with many young, young, young people who say, I want to I be the next Bill Gates. I want to be the next president of the United States. I want to be the person that finds the cure to AIDS. I want to do this. I want to, I talk to people who say, I want to preach all over the world. I want to be the next Joyce Meyer. I want to be the next Reinhard Bonkri. Africa must be saved. I want to be the next Yongi Cho. Oh, we have vision for nation. Uh, I want to be, you know, the next, the next, the next Darlene check. I want to be. God has no problem with you gaining and you profiting. But listen to this. You better start with the end in mind. Before that success comes, sit down and figure out what are the non-negotiables in your life. Before you get that recording contract, I want to be the next, you know, Bieber. I want to create the next Bieber fever. Amen. I want to have an album that's recorded that goes around the world. Is there a cure for Bieber fever? I, I really hope that there is because that just seems like a terminal disease to me. Well, then influence the media and influence the arts. I want to be that person. God says gain and profit is good. But what good is it if you forfeit your soul? I want to be the next tiger. That's good. Gain and profit is good. But what good is it if you lose yourself in the process? Come on, somebody say amen. So it's called the elephant theory. You've got to start with the end in mind. So that's what Jesus was teaching in Matthew 26. I'm mean, sorry, Matthew 16. Jesus really had in mind, not that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, and all that kind of stuff. No, no, what he really had in mind, he was trying to teach the elephant theory. Okay, I'm glad that you finally have clued us into what Jesus was really talking about in that passage. I never knew this. Come on. This church is built on this, by the way, if you haven't figured it out. Twelve years ago, I stood on this property, twelve and a half years ago, and I looked out on the corner of Old Donation and Great Nick Road, and I saw the old, run-down, dilapidated auditorium, the dysfunctional, almost condemned ministry center, youth center. And I stood there on that property out there, and I looked, and honestly, what I saw was a children's center, a convention center and a youth center. We haven't yet built the youth center yet. What I also saw on Seaboard Road 
was a children's center, a youth center, a convention center, a warehouse distribution center for all the music and resource and leadership and all the community care, food and clothing. I saw it all. I saw an amphitheater. I saw a chapel. I saw it all. I tell you, I saw it all. I even saw other things like a retirement village. I saw it all. An indoor sports center. I saw it all. But I didn't tell everybody what I saw 12 and a half years ago. No, you just told everybody now. Apparently, you know, this is what you saw prophetically. Uh, right, yeah. Color me incredulous. But what I did do was have an end in mind. And how do you eat the elephant? One bite at a time. But you better start in your life knowing what it is you want to gain and profit from. But start with the end in mind. What won't I do? What are the non-negotiables? In the process of building that great business, what won't I do? Come on, somebody write, somebody say amen. Here are a few things I think you should write. If you don't, if you don't know what should be on your list, this is what should be on your list. With gain and profit, the world. Number one, I won't lose my love for God's house. Some people get so successful, they lose their love for God's house. But actually, it was being in God's house that helped build the foundation of the success. But when the success comes, they walk out on God's house. Sorry, God, too busy with all the toys you blessed me with. Yeah, that's what Jesus had in mind in this passage. I I never knew it. Amen. I won't leave my spouse. I love God's house. I won't leave my spouse. There's, a, there's, a, there's poetry right there if someone could figure it out. Amen. In other words, I'm not going to let all this wealth and success and gain get so influential in my life that I start thinking I need, I need to trade up. Come on, somebody say amen. I won't make it all about me. I'll give God the glory. I will not be a person that says I did it my way. I won't stop letting people who love me speak into my life that knew me before I was successful. Amen? Sometimes you get gain and profit and all of a sudden all the wannabes and all the parasites attach themselves to you and they don't really care about you. They're more interested in your success and feeding off you. So they'll say to you what needs to be said to be in your world, but the people who love you the most are going to go, hey, listen, man, you shouldn't be doing that. And all of a sudden, you got these other people telling you how good you are and how you should keep doing it. You lose the people who were in your life that helped save you and keep you grounded. It's just a few thoughts. Amen. I will be cautious, but generous. Amen. Cautious, but generous. Because then there's a whole other group of people that want to feed off your success because they don't know how to create their own success. So they become a parasite to you. And it's like the rich young ruler. He only spent all his money on wild living. But as soon as he lost it all, he said to his friends, go. Amen. I won't lose my family. A non-negotiable. I won't lose my family. For all the gain and profit, I'm going to make sure my family will always remain a priority. I won't use or allow addictive substances to come into my life to help me cope with my... See, and now notice, it's so that you won't... You know, the idea here is uh, don't forfeit your soul. So the way you don't forfeit your soul is take all of these steps so that you don't forfeit your soul. This is all law. This isn't gospel. This is self-salvation, not salvation by grace through faith because of Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for your sins. This is a completely different salvation scheme. My success. If success comes at the cost of needing addictive substances to help me sleep and help me to do what I need to do, it ain't worth it. Thank you for the underwhelming response. 
Amen. Listen to this one. I won't compromise a biblical lifestyle because of peer pressure. I mean, just thinking about gain and success and profit. I mean, God wants you to have all that. But you better figure out what the non-negotiables are before you start. You better, you better, you better. Come on, somebody say amen. They're sitting right here on the second row is a good friend of mine. His name's Mike Perkins. And many years ago, a professional baseball player. And I remember God got his heart. I'll never forget it. God got his heart long before he, you know, well, was in the process of trying to pursue a professional career. And God broke his heart for giving and missions. And it was actually Jack Haynes that came and spoke. And I remember Mike got it. He got it. And I'd say before he was getting paychecks, before he knew success in that arena, he got it. And he realized that anything he did through baseball, but it was more than that. He realized anything he did with his life would be grounded out of what are the non-negotiables, things that God put in his heart. Amen. And, you, and, and, and as success comes, don't ever let success cause you to lose. Don't lose a biblical lifestyle. I think it's godly wisdom. You're shouting me down here. I can tell you that much. And I'll be careful of who is influencing who? Just a few thoughts. But what does it profit a man? What does it gain a man? What does it profit a man? Or what good is it that a man gains the whole world but lost his soul? Amen. Anybody receive the word? Come on, do you receive the word? South, do you receive So there you have it. That was the um, sermon about five ways to profit. Apparently, uh, that's what Jesus really meant when he said, uh, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul who knew that what jesus was really saying is that there's five things that you need to do so that you can pursue gaining the whole world and not forfeit your soul if you do those five things well then you can pursue the whole world and gain it and not forfeit your soul of course you don't need a cross for that you just need to apply the principles that um steve kelly discovered there all by himself Never before seen anywhere in the church, uh, in the entire history of the church, but he discovered them for you. I mean, isn't that just great? Yeah, it sounds to me like if you try to apply these um, five principles, you will lose your soul. Because that's not how men are saved. Men are saved by being brought to repentance of their sins and trust in Christ, and him crucified and raised again on the third day for their justification. Jesus Christ shed his blood for you and for me. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Trust in him. Believe in him for the forgiveness of your sins. That is the only way that you will not forfeit your soul because your soul was purchased, won, and redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what was missing from all of this. Jesus, it was all the clever little interpretation that Steve Kelly came up with that doesn't even remotely reflect what Jesus was really getting at in that text. That's always how you can tell a wolf when somebody points you away from Christ and points you to their clever little interpretations and their little principles that all you have to do is simply apply these things and ta-da! You're in with God. Yeah, no, there's no principles that you can apply that would, ta-da, make you in with God. It took a bloody and beaten and crucified Savior to make it possible for you to be able to stand in God's presence and not hear from him, depart from me, 
into the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. But that's not what Steve Kelly was preaching about. That, that would be too negative. He wouldn't have a mega church if he <laughs> preached like that. And then where would all of his influence be? <laughs> you know, and uh, and the, where would all those rich people be that he can demand that they tithe so that he can live so well? Hmm? All right. We're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. We truly depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions to keep bringing this important radio outreach to you and to the world. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Please click on one of them and support this important radio program. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. You can email me, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.